0: You're tuned to WFHB, volunteer-powered, listener-supported,
1: Community Radio for South-Central
0: Indiana.
2: Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB Community Radio, this is Cade Young.
1: And I'm Sydney Foreman. You're listening to the WFHB Local News for Friday, April 17th, 2020.
2: Later in the program, WFHB's junior correspondent, Katrine Brunner, reports on how the current pandemic has affected the local birdwatching community.
1: Also coming up in the next half hour, Jake Jacobson reports on Indiana senators chosen for a congressional group tasked with reopening the economy in wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. But first, let's dive into your local headlines.
2: There are 42 new deaths from COVID-19 reported from April 3rd to April 16th. 642 new positive cases are reported. Total numbers are at 10,154 people infected with the virus. With 519 total deaths, this is out of 54,785 people tested. Monroe County has 108 total positive cases with 3 deaths. Some BMV branches will reopen to commercial drivers who need a new driver's license or change their existing one. IndyStar reports while the branches remain closed to the general public during Governor Holcomb's stay-at-home order, drivers looking to obtain a new commercial learner's permit, obtain a new commercial driver's license, or change the endorsement of their commercial license may set up an appointment. Governor Holcomb and six other Midwestern governors announced they would work together to determine when and how their states would begin to reopen their economies. The governor did not provide a specific date, but he did say his prediction would be sometime in early May. Researchers at Harvard School of Public Health said social distancing measures might need to be kept until 2022 in the fight against coronavirus.
1: COVID-19 has people staying at home, which has led to an atmospheric change on Earth that can be seen from space, according to a WTTW interview with atmospheric scientist Scott Collis. According to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, all forms of traveling accounts for up to 28% of carbon emissions. Because of the stay-at-home order cycling the globe, including Indiana, people aren't traveling nearly as often. In the interview, Collis mentioned satellites capturing a sudden reduction in nitrogen caused by the burning of oil-based products. He said burning of these products is what causes smog and respiratory issues for many individuals. Such images of the reductions in smog have been circulating on social media showing the fast reduction in air pollution over cities such as New York City. Also circulating media is news of animals reclaiming territory taken and developed by humans. An example is shown as dolphins swim through the empty canals of Venice, Italy. In the United States, according to the San Francisco Gate, coyotes have been strolling the empty streets and sidewalks. However, as regulations are loosening up in order for emergency COVID-19 response, the government has also loosened environmental regulations. According to a Forbes article, at the end of March, President Donald Trump announced significantly reduced fuel efficiency standards for new cars, which could, quote, result in increased gasoline consumption by 80 billion tons, increasing carbon emissions in the atmosphere, end quote. He has also announced, quote, that the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is stopping the enforcement of monitoring and reporting requirements of environmental protection for companies for an infinite period if the company can show a COVID-19-related reason for noncompliance, end quote. In light of these changes, Indiana has been seeking to reduce air quality reporting standards. Earlier this month, IndyStar reported, quote, Based on data from the Environmental Protection Agency's Toxic Release Inventory, Indiana has the most releases of toxic chemicals nationwide per square mile, end quote. In the article, Assistant Director of Policy and Implementation at Indiana University's Environmental Resilience Institute, Janik McCabe, said there are no limitations on what could not be reported, including emission violations. She said those emissions could definitely create public health issues. Bloomington City Council adopted the 2020 zoning map by names. Planning and Transportation Assistant Director Scott Robinson said district lines would not change during their April 15th meeting.
3: With the Unified Development Ordinance Update process that once we got through getting the rules uh, adopted, which we did back in uh, December and January with the plan commission, uh, this next step is simply just uh, updating the zoning map. And again, we're doing that because the zoning districts simply changed their names. And so we need to reflect those name changes on the zoning map. None of the boundaries are changing. It's just the names.
1: Councilmember Stephen Volan asked Robinson when the name changes would be completed. Robinson said the process would start with the new Indiana University Hospital location. He said all rezoning is not likely to occur in
3: 2020. We want to make sure we let that process run with the hospital before we're looking at uh, rezoning other areas of the community. I know there's some large areas in the Southwest area of the community that uh, were discussed about. Um, and, you know, we would kick off a, a public process to get input from the community about other areas. But again, we're, we're kind of looking at those focus areas that were identified in the comprehensive plan. And the hospital site is one of those areas that we're looking at as well as the Southwest portion of the community. There, there really isn't an intent by us to, you know, look at other uh, areas within the built out environment uh, to rezone. But again, we would be listening to that feedback when we kick that process off. So short answer, I think it would be highly unlikely we would get this done before, to, before the end of this year, considering we have to have a public process, considering we have to take it to plan commission and get on your uh, agenda uh, before the end of the year. I think that would be a, a pretty aggressive schedule to accomplish by that time.
1: Council members unanimously approved the rezoning by name and minor text amendments presented to the Unified Development Ordinance. During the meeting, council members also discussed an ordinance to conduct municipal government during a state of emergency in compliance with the State Board of Accounts. City Controller Jeff Underwood provided examples of emergency actions this ordinance would allow the city to take without first obtaining board approval.
0: We're really talking about sanitation and street department and police and fire and utilities, uh, and even transit that um, are those basic services that have to be ongoing. And if 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 something breaks or uh, we've got to get it back up and get going, or we got to get a piece of equipment, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna waive the policies. We're gonna get whatever we need in. Uh, to keep them operating for public safety.
1: City Attorney Philippa Guthrie said the ordinance also provides city workers with stay-at-home pay, allows the mayor to waive any precedents and formalities in compliance with existing law, and allows the controller's Office to approve payment of necessary expenditures. Volen clarified with Guthrie that all actions will still be approved by the appropriate board.
0: In a way, it's kind of like a 90-day order yeah. that you, you put the the cones out to change the yellow curb and you do that before you get uh, uh a change in code just to see if it works right uh so if this mm-hmm. is the equivalent of that and the decisions will still be reviewed and approved in arrears by the appropriate board when they can get to it i'm okay with that if it means that the decision is not going to the given board or commission that it's supposed to go to at all i'd have a problem with that
1: yeah, no, no. It, the, the actual language of Section Three says will be approved by a board a, after the action. Guthrie said the state board of accounts requires such an adopted policy to avoid any possible issues with their coming audit. Council members unanimously recommended to pass.
2: Now, WFHB News correspondent Alex Dieterer provides an update on the latest health news. She talks about why six feet social distance is so important and also what COVID-19 does to your brain. We turn to Alex Dieterer for more.
4: We hear the phrase every day, six feet away. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's social distancing guideline specifies this six-foot measurement. In a world changed by the wake of COVID-19, the new norm of life is to stay at least six feet away from friends, family, neighbors, strangers. But why? When someone coughs or sneezes, drops of liquid are sprayed, According to the World Health Organization, if the coughing person is infected by COVID-19, these droplets could contain the virus. This creates the possibility that those around could breathe them in. Six feet ensures you're just out of reach. The distance of three feet to six feet away from person to person is known as the breathing zone. People within this zone are inhaling and exhaling the same air. Today.com provides four tips to ensure this distance is kept. One. Walk and stay on the other side of the sidewalk during those much-needed social-distancing walks. 2. Keep the length of two grocery carts between you and other shoppers. 3. When checking on loved ones, say hi from the bottom of the porch to ensure it remains a safe activity. 4. When in doubt, use your arms. For most people, the span of their arms equates to the person's height. Keeping three arm spans between you and others is a good way to eyeball. According to sf.gov, six feet is approximately two to three steps away from another person. By now, people know what the physical symptoms of COVID-19 are like the back of their hand. But what effects does this virus have on things we cannot physically see? When a 58-year-old airline worker from Detroit was rushed to Henry Ford Hospital, her symptoms of a fever, cough, and aching muscles aligned with hundreds of other COVID-19 patients. But something else was happening. She couldn't remember anything but her name. After she tested positive for COVID-19 by doctors at Henry Ford, they also ordered CT and MRI scans. After analyzing the scans, her doctors diagnosed ANE, a rare complication that is known to occasionally accompany influenza and other viral infections. According to Wire.com, scientists believe that with the flu, quote, such brain damage is caused not so much by the virus itself, but by squalls of inflammation-inducing molecules called cytokines, which are sometimes produced in excess by the body's immune system during an infection. Scientists are trying to figure out if the same is true for COVID-19 or if the coronavirus is actually invading the nervous system directly, end quote. Stranger symptoms occurring in a small portion of infected individuals, such as headaches, confusion, seizures, tingling, and numbness, have also been reported. Currently, doctors are trying to find antiviral drugs that can halt how fast COVID-19 replicates combined with steroids to prevent the immune system from overloading. If doctors were aware patients of COVID-19 had it in their brains, this method would have to be altered. In the wake of COVID-19 and its devastating death toll, not many autopsies are being done. According to Wired.com, microbiologist and infectious disease physician Stanley Perlman said, researchers in China have peered inside the skulls of deceased COVID-19 patients and discovered the virus lurking in brain tissues. The Detroit woman was discharged last week, but is a leading example of the need for physicians to expand this well-known list of symptoms for the virus. For WFHB, I'm Alex Dieterer.
1: Indiana senators are among members chosen for the Opening Up America Again congressional group. We turn to WFHB news correspondent Jake Jacobson for more.
5: This week, President Donald Trump announced guidelines for Opening Up America Again a three-phased patchwork plan to help states end closures and shelter-from-home orders caused by the COVID-19 virus. Rather than make a decision at a federal level, these non-binding guidelines are meant for individual state use so that each state can reopen as soon as possible while keeping its residents safe. Two groups have been formed to advise the president in an attempt to reopen America. The Opening Our Country Council, which consists of over 200 corporate executives and trade group chiefs, and the Opening Up America Again Congressional Group, a bipartisan panel of members of Congress. The Opening Up America Again Congressional Group consists of 32 members from the House of Representatives and 65 members of the Senate. Among the 52 Republican senators in the group are both Indiana Senators Todd Young and Mike Braun. Senator Braun hosted a teleconference moderated by the Indiana Broadcasters Association this week regarding his appointment to the congressional group. Senator Braun began the teleconference by explaining that his ties and experience in the private sector made him a prime choice for the appointment.
0: The reason uh, I was asked, uh, among a few others, to uh, weigh in uh, as senators, I think, was due to the fact that so recently I've come from the private sector and I've got a good feel For what businesses, small, medium, and large, are contending with. Just got off the phone uh, literally a minute ago with the Indiana Farm Bureau. Uh, Been involved in farming, uh, tree farming, and uh, ag farming, uh, row crops, uh, had a turkey farm for 32 years. So it gives me kind of a unique perspective of being so firmly rooted in small business and had the blessing of a business growing into a national company over a long period of time, and three of my four kids and a good team run it currently. So I get a lot of good information.
5: Members of the Senate and members of the House appointed to the congressional group each had their own preliminary conference call. Senator Braun suggested that while the group wants more testing, members of the group are worried that by the time we have comprehensive testing, it may be too late for businesses.
0: On that one-hour conference call among the senators on this new task force, There were two themes. Uh, One that we'd like to see more testing, but everyone knowing that if we try to be competent on what testing can yield, and when we had a strategy out to avoid the disease in the first place, you know, we're gonna get a lot of negative results, but it'll give us that kind of particular information that we would need, especially in terms of when you can bring people back and so forth, but clearly. It's not gonna give us what we need in a timely fashion before we lose businesses. We have real demand and supply destruction. That's the formal economic term to when you go beyond the point of no return as an entity. We're real close to that. Uh, So I think the governor who you'll listen to here soon has got a really tough decision to make.
5: A follow-up question from Brad Bird of ABC 25 in Evansville asked about the Paycheck Protection Program, which announced Thursday it had already gifted all of the initial $350 billion to small businesses and could no longer accept new loans. Two different versions of a bill that would provide new funding were blocked in the Senate. Senate Democrats objected to a standalone bill which would provide $250 billion of additional funding and are fighting to add additional funding on top, including $100 billion for hospitals, $150 $150 billion for states, and a boost in food assistance funding. Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell rejected the request to add additional funds. In a Facebook town hall, Senator Braun said that reopenings should be selective, county to county. In the teleconference, Senator Braun elaborated
0: I think it's analogous to how it's going to occur across the country, which is state by state. I think Indy and Indy Metro. It's got a much different dynamic uh, than the other 80 some counties. And uh, I think that take my county, which is a dynamic county, we got about 44,000 people. Uh, It's the lowest unemployment county in the state month after month. It's uh, got the highest manufacturing output per capita in the state. Uh, We're the regional hospitals here. Hospitals been basically closed down waiting for coronavirus patients. Well, we haven't basically had any. We've had 14 cases and we are in a position and we're all paying attention to the rules that need to be able to get back to normal more quickly than Marion County and surrounding donut counties. Uh, That to me is a smart reopen. Trying to blanket the same policies into the indefinite future across the state of Indiana doesn't make sense, just like it doesn't make sense doing it nationally across all states.
5: The opening America Up Again guidelines rely on the limited COVID nineteen test numbers available to states. Indiana State Senator Mark Stoops of Bloomington agrees that we need to open businesses as soon as we can. Senator Stoops is worried that, without broader, more comprehensive testing, we cannot make an informed decision on when it is safe to open businesses.
3: So what I hear what I hear the talking point of well, we've got to reopen the economy I hear the the underlying statement that we're putting money over lives. And unless we have the testing capability, you know, where we're we're testing tens of thousands of people a day rather than uh just the people that are presenting as sick, we're we're not gonna know we're we're at that point where, you know, with some social distancing and, and care, uh we might be able to avoid a, a situation where the virus just just plows through communities that, that up to now have been uh, trying
5: to be careful. According to the Indiana State Department of Health's website, as of this morning, over 54,000 Hoosiers have been tested for COVID-19, which is less than 1% of the population of Indiana. In Dubois County... Roughly 0.3% of the population has been tested. Senator Braun says the opening America Up Again congressional group will continue to meet via conference call, describing the meetings as, quote, a little bit of a tug of war between those that don't want to do anything until there's more comprehensive testing, end quote, and those who want to move forward and get businesses open sooner. For WFHB, I'm Jake Jacobson. WFHB's junior
2: correspondent, Katrine Berner, reports on how the current pandemic has affected the local birdwatching community and how citizens can stay connected through nature, even with social distancing measures. She discusses this topic with local owner of Indigo Nature Trails, David Rupp.
6: With the season of spring upon us, many citizens of Bloomington may be noticing the vibrant signs in nature, from blossoming trees to the sounds of the songbirds. As a fellow citizen stuck inside most of the day, I noticed that the birds seemed to stand out more than before, and I wondered whether or not the birds have always been this vocal during this time of the year, or if it was just an outcome of a world living with less commotion. With this in mind, I talked with Bloomington citizen David Roop about the appearance of birds in our state and why we should take note of this right now. David Roop is the owner and guide of Indigo Nature Tours, a company that was formed in 2013 with the goal of providing ecotourism that is, quote, education and experiential based, end quote. Roop explained that his job is to teach people about birds, nature, and the history of the land in Indiana, along with taking regional trips to places such as Lake Erie and the Indiana Dunes. Roop answered my question with his own observations from recent excavations and being a fellow birdwatcher himself.
7: One of my goals is really to get people to do exactly what you're talking about, which is you know open your eyes and ears and become connected and, and see what's going on around you and and. So it's both that for you, and and then also it's it's uh, April in Bloomington, and so uh, the bird activity does pick up. Whether the numbers, you know, compared to past years in April, are picking up or not, I can't speak to that. But but I can't say birds are males are out singing, the males, you, you know, claiming their territory and attracting a mate, and and birds are working on building nests.
6: He also explained that birds will appear even more vibrant in the next upcoming weeks.
7: Another two weeks from now, it will be even greater. You know, that that first week of May can really be a spectacular time for birds in Indiana. We get all these birds that are coming back from the tropics that have spent their winter down there and will be arriving. Most of them end up being in in some of our state parks and forests, national forests, etc., but uh, some some will actually be here in town as well.
6: Roop described the various birds, especially songbirds, that will be coming to bird feeders in many homes during the last week of April and the first week of May. These include birds such as the rose-breasted grosbeaks, warblers, and indigo buntings. Some of these birds, like the indigo bunting, have migratory patterns ranging from southern Canada to northern Florida during the breeding season. The indigo bunting, a bright blue songbird, can be nicknamed Blue Canaries because of this. The most common places for spotting these birds are noted to be in weedy fields and shrubby areas near trees. Posted on April 1st through Indigo Nature's Facebook page, Roop stated, Due to the COVID-19 pandemic and the governor's stay-at-home order for Indiana, I will not be offering tours during the month of April. Instead, please like this page to be notified of virtual birding videos and Facebook Live events that I will be offering," End quote. Through this pandemic crisis, Roop admitted that it has been more of a challenge to continue getting people involved with the birdwatching community. However, on the other hand, he stated that serious birdwatchers have still continued to get outside individually. According to Roop, April is usually one of the busiest times of the year for indigo birding tours. Although social distancing has forced many businesses to close, the bird-watching community seems to continue thriving through the use of social media as an outlet to keep people involved and connected. The Bloomington Bird Fest was set to happen on April 4th at the new Switchyard Park. However, because of circumstances, it was canceled. The festival began about three years ago from a group of IU biology members and has grown as an educational event and celebration of birds with the involvement of the Sassafras Audubon Society. SAS represents Monroe, Lawrence, Owen, Green, Morgan, Jackson, Brown, and Bartholomew counties in Indiana. Roop explained it as a quote, group of people that care about bird education trying to come together and provide an event that reaches out to people who may not go out and explore birds otherwise, end quote. In efforts to keep citizens involved, the Sassafras Audubon Society has been making posts every day on their Facebook page with info on birds for people to learn more about them. Roop explained other ways that the watching community has been staying connected. These include Facebook pages such as birding in Indiana, Indiana birdwatching, and sites like eBird, a way to connect and post observations of birds and natural discoveries. Group expressed other ways that the community is staying involved and connected even with social distancing.
7: For example, yesterday there was a group of 35 American avocets, which are these pretty spectacular long-legged shorebirds that um, aren't very common around here, that showed up at uh, Beach, I think down at Fairfax on Lake Monroe. And, you know, the word got around the birding community and people were going down there to check it out and, and take pictures and such. But but, I, you know, that's just the Internet and people that are already connected, getting their chances to uh, to go and find something that something pretty cool that somebody else had already found.
6: One of Roop's videos for the Indigo Tours was recently sponsored and posted by Toms of Maine on their own social media page. The videos included sites on Morgan Monroe State Forest and Brown County State Park, where Roop explored signs of spring for people to see. To those who may wonder what the outcome can be for watching birds in nature, Roop expressed the importance of not only noticing the birds, but just being in nature, especially during this pandemic crisis
7: there are plenty of studies that show that being out in nature are good for your emotional, mental health. And so people are feeling stressed or cooped up and well off their game. This would be a chance to just, just go outside and, and go for a walk in a park, you know, keep your social distance and all that. But even if you, if you're not learning what every bird song is, you can still go out and uh, you know, breathe in and relax and, and take in surroundings. And, and uh, I think a, it's probably a good thing
2: for people to do.
6: For WFHB, I'm Katrine Bruner. Thanks for listening.
2: You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young, Alex Dieterer, Braden Lentz, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our features were produced by Jake Jacobson and Katrine Bruner.
1: Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman.
2: And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast as well as other WFHB news programming online at WFHB.org.
1: You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org.
2: Stay tuned for KiteLine, a program amplifying the voices of those within Indiana's prison system, coming up next on WFHB.